Telecoms might be blocking Apple's new private relay feature. LastPass is allegedly holding users hostage, Europol is being ordered to erase data, Signal is getting a new CEO, and there has been some other big changes in the FOSS world. Welcome to Surveillance Report 71, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps on the most notable events in the last week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And our self-promo this week before we get into things is Simple Login, which is an open source email aliasing service that makes keeping your email private a breeze. The way it works is you connect your current email to Simple Login, then you generate numerous email aliases that you give to websites. Simple Login then serves as essentially a proxy, allowing you to receive and send emails via Simple Login while never exposing your real email to anybody. It's honestly a useful tool that made me really reconsider how I handled email privacy. And I really do go back to the days that I used to live without it. And I asked myself how I used to do that because I used to have like 10 emails for different things. And now it's just one email for everything, but it's all protected through Simple Login. So everyone I talk to seems to love it. Check it out down in the description to see what it's all about. It's even good for like non-privacy purposes. Like even people I talk to, it's like, oh, do you hate spam? Use Simple Login. It's great. One little note. By popular demand, we have decided to cover our highlight story of the week at the very start of the report, followed by our normal weekly news with our normal categories. So hopefully you will appreciate that change since we'll get right to the point for people who clicked. So the highlight story this week will be covered by Nathan and I will hand it over to him. Let us know how you guys feel about us putting the highlight story at the beginning and whether you like that or whether you'd rather us put everything back in order the way it was. All right, our highlight story this week is the iPhone iCloud private relay blocking thing that we talked about. I'm actually pulling this from multiple sources, so I don't have a headline to read off of. Basically, what's happening is there are multiple carriers in both the US and Europe. For example, T-Mobile, Vodafone, and Telefonica are some of the big names they listed. And their users are having trouble with iCloud's new private relay feature. So the blockage appears to be hit or miss. It doesn't seem to apply to all of those users across the board. It varies based on like location, phone plan, and it does suggest that if this is actually a malicious blockage, then this is being rolled out slowly and it's not yet uniform. This also does not appear to be caused by any carrier level spam blocking because a lot of the people who are reporting having difficulties say that they don't use those features. T-Mobile is currently claiming that this is a bug on Apple's side and that it only affects users who have certain content blocking features enabled like parental controls or the aforementioned spam block. Apple kind of seems to have maybe confirmed this. The other day they did update the wording on their latest beta release and they indicated that it's possible that using private relay may be shut off in the settings. So this may be their way of silently admitting that the issue is on their end, that maybe some users just had it shut off on their devices and didn't realize it. Maybe it's disabled by default, but it's kind of unclear at this moment whether it's definitely Apple's fault or whether it's a mixture of the two. It's not really clear why carriers would block this feature unless you're cynical like me and you think that they just want the data and they know that private relay will cut them out of some of that user data. We'll have to keep you guys updated as we learn more but just be aware that if you wanted to use this feature and you're on one of these carriers, you may run into some difficulties at the moment until this gets figured out. Okay, with that, we will move on to data breaches. We're gonna start off with a California town called Grass Valley, California, who has announced a data breach involving the police department. The data includes pretty much everything, names, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, financial account information, payment card information, health insurance information, passport numbers, and more. This affected city employees and vendors, applicants for loans through the 
Grass Valley Community Development Department and information provided to the police department. So that's why there's a lot of financial information in there too, because it also affected their loan department. A former DHS official was charged with stealing government employees' personally identifiable information. The name was Charles Edwards, who at one point was acting inspector general. He stole the government software, which included databases containing the employee information. So he could create his own case management software to sell back to government agencies once he moved into the private sector, which honestly is pretty smart. You know what? I feel like he was having drinks with some of his buds and he's like, oh man, the government will give money to any contractor. Wanna bet that I'm gonna be able to pull off this little sneaky plan and then he got caught doing it. The moral here, rogue employees is definitely a problem. Insider threats if you're a business. So just keep an eye out and make sure to implement things like principle of least privilege and only give people what they need to do their job. And our final data breach of the week, Goodwill has disclosed a data breach on its Shop Goodwill platform. Goodwill is a US nonprofit, which is widely known for their thrift stores, but they do also use that money for stuff like job training for disadvantaged people. Their online auction portal exposed personal contact information due to a site vulnerability. They claim that no payment information was exposed because they claim not to store such data. The actual exposed data that's confirmed includes first and last names, email addresses, phone numbers, and mailing addresses. An easy defense here, masked email, simple login like we mentioned earlier, VOIP number, you can use MySudo, uh, there's also recently silent link if you want to go the crypto route, and also you can get a PO box or a mail drop, and that is a good way to order things. Or you can just avoid the internet altogether and just go to your local Goodwill. That will do it for the data breaches this week, kind of a short week, thankfully. And now we're gonna move into companies. We're gonna start off with a real quick one from Apple. The headline says, time to update. Apple releases iOS 15.2.1 for iPhone with HomeKit security fix. This is just a quick update. I believe it was last week. We talked about a research story where somebody discovered that you could change a device name in Apple's HomeKit and it would basically uh, overload the device, cause it to crash. Apple has pushed out an update for this. Next one, we're gonna be summoning Angry Henry, which people seem to enjoy. So LastPass appears to be holding users' passwords hostage alongside more expensive pricing plans. The title pretty much says it all. They seem to be restricting users from being able to export their vaults, which is where you store all your passwords. It's unclear if this is intentional or not, but they will probably deny it either way. If it is intentional, they're facing a pretty hefty fine from EU GDPR regulators. This hold seems to be arriving around the same time as an upcoming price change. Kind of risky stuff going on. Now, when I start getting angry is when we combine this story with LastPass's numerous previous security incidents, how they likewise have never let you export your 2FA seeds, started restricting access to multiple devices on their free plan out of nowhere, include trackers inside their apps that can be used to fingerprint you, and are not open source, I truly want to ask the people who die on the hill of defending LastPass in the comments of these reports, and why you don't like find better things to do. I know it's a little bit ranty, but seriously, why are you trying to die on the hill of defending LastPass, which is just such a scummy company, and we should be doing, in my opinion, so much to get away from them, because there's like nothing to lose. Let's go to Bitwarden. It's more free than LastPass in both money and freedom. It matches almost all of its features and it takes literally minutes to switch. And a lot of people actually prefer the Bitwarden experience. So if we could try to move from LastPass before they literally don't let you move, that'd be kind of nice. There, that's my rant for the day. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather people use LastPass than just keep reusing the same garbage passwords over and over. But I mean, at this point, like you said, there's no reason not to switch. Bitwarden offers all the same stuff. 
or at least try it. If people try Bitwarden and they don't like it and they're like, I'm gonna stick with LastPass, I'm not angry at you because at least you tried it. But if you're just committed to LastPass, come on, why? Our next story is going to come from a company called Blackview and they make dashboard cameras. A person on Twitter claims that they have found that you can download the Blackview dashcam app and access any camera without authentication. So once you've got the app, you can basically just connect to any camera you want. And that means you can view data like exact GPS, live feeds of the camera, microphones, and much more. Blackview has been alerted to this problem before, and they insist this is not a bug, it's a feature, which is horrifying. Instead, they reply with like a 15 tweet thread about how to change the settings, which is of course enabled by default. Every part of that story gets worse with every sentence. Anyways, the moral of this story is as always, please, please, please check the default settings. Defaults are very, very powerful. Most people don't change them. And if you don't at least look at them, then you run the risk of getting caught up in something like this and not even knowing about it. For the record, I would recommend checking your settings regularly because it is unfortunately really common for updates to come out and either on purpose or by accident, switch those settings back to defaults. So even if you change the settings, go ahead and like check them every so often and make sure they haven't been reverted back. Our next story is for the parents. The headline says this private equity firm is amassing companies that collect data on America's children. This article is an expose of various corporations and how they collect and use student data from children, school children. The company is called Vista Equity Partners. And personal note, beware of those really bland, harmless sounding names because they're not always, but often a front for something nefarious. This company makes educational software, which of course scoops up user data. And they are also in the process of purchasing a whole bunch of other subsidiaries. Like for example, PowerSchool, who uses quote, indicators of family wealth to predict a student's future success. <laughs> I know, right? That is, oh my God. I'm not even going to comment. It's so self-explanatory messed up. Another subsidiary sells college counseling and recruitment tools. And all these companies proudly boast that they have data on millions of students and they are used by quote, thousands of colleges and universities. To nobody's surprise, most of the parents have no idea this is happening. When they find out, they're very, very upset. Here's my favorite quote. It says companies regularly collect data given to the schools like demographic information, citizenship status, religious affiliation, disciplinary records, medical diagnoses, reading and typing speeds and they can infer information like drug use, LGBTQ plus interest, and more. If you are a parent, once again, my heart goes out to you. Find out what the schools are doing with your child's data and how you can opt out of it because this is not okay on so many levels. Really quick story, very normal stuff. Microsoft has released January 2022 Patch Tuesday, which fixes six zero days and 97 flaws. So this is your reminder, check for updates or just use automatic updates, just like our newest video covered very extensively. And our final company news for the week, Getter has promised users it would free them from big tech, but is tracking them for Facebook and Google. Getter is a social media platform. It's another like liberation based platform with promises of getting its users away from big tech like Facebook and Google. The problem, they utilize Google AdSense tracking as well as the Facebook pixel which is single-handedly probably one of the most powerful forms of Facebook tracking. It also utilizes some app trackers that can be used to fingerprint users, including AppsFlyer. 
which is, you know, like the same one that's used in LastPass because that's what you need in a passer manager. Getter has also previously had some serious security concerns as it didn't implement proper security with security headers, referrer headers, and other defaults that don't appear to have been implemented. Getter also loads a lot of unencrypted and mixed HTTP content. Content from third-party domains could also be infected with malware, potentially exposing users to, quote, surveillance by the originating source. It also creates opportunities for police or network admins, such as university or corporate IT departments, to monitor unencrypted traffic. It's also worth noting that this is a site that got hacked within hours of opening, and the obvious lack of technical expertise among the type of users Getter is courting kind of represents a gaping vulnerability. A lot of that was quoted from the article, so I kind of just copied from the article. Takeaway, if you're using Getter, we kind of recommend you stop, at least until these issues are fixed, mitigated, or just any kind of comfort can be found on this platform, which I'm kind of doubtful considering this platform has had issues since its inception. We're not here to tell you what to think politically, but I will say the, the impression I get is that Getter is popular with the right. So if you're going to use it, do not be surprised, in my opinion, if a year or two down the road, we find out that police are surveilling it like very closely, because I know they're already doing that with like Gab and Parler and stuff like that. So I guess if you're not causing any trouble, you got nothing to worry about, but I wouldn't be surprised. We'll probably, I'll probably cut that out. I think it's fine to keep in because like, regardless of your political opinion, our goal here is to keep you secure and private. And these platforms consistently prove not to offer that to users. I don't think it's any issue to call these, these, these services out and be like, hey guys, no, it doesn't matter if you're right or left, you can still use Signal to communicate with people. I think that's mostly what we're criticizing here is that a lot of these like alternative platforms just aren't built by people who are very technical for whatever reason. And that'll take us into the research section. We're gonna start with a story about Raspberry Pis being able to detect malware by scanning for electromagnetic waves. I'm going to quote the article here. It says a team of researchers at France's Research Institute of Computer Science and Random Systems created an anti-malware system centered around a Raspberry Pi that scans devices for electromagnetic waves. Basically, they use other instruments like oscilloscopes and things like that to look for abnormalities in the waves of computers. And then the Raspberry Pi is running a neural network that analyzes the data and notices things that are out of the ordinary, which suggest that the uh, device is under attack. They claim that they have a 99.82% accuracy rating, which is really impressive. My first thought when I read this story was, I know we've talked in the past, how researchers showed that this could be used as an attack. Something very similar to this could be used to, for example, I think they could like determine your private keys by watching the EM waves when your computer was decrypting something. It was something like that. And so it's really interesting to see how this is a positive use of that same technology. Instead of using it to spy on people and steal their private keys, we're using it to detect attacks and possibly act on them and stop them in real time. I think the story really shows how technology is a double-edged sword. Sometimes I get crap for this in the comments, but I don't think almost any technology is inherently bad by itself. It's how you decide to use it. And this shows a good use that I think could really benefit people. On that note, our next story, AI unmasks anonymous chess players. Basically, researchers have discovered that they can use AI to, quote, tag people based on their chess playing behavior. There's a lot of websites where you can go and you can play chess, either against a computer or against other players. Researchers basically used AI and the AI was able to notice the patterns in people's behavior because that's really what AI does. That's really what all these machine learning and neural networks, what they do is they just look for patterns that are so subtle that humans usually miss them. So this AI can find the patterns in chess playing behavior 
and they're able to say, oh, this is probably this person. And the thing is, this isn't identifying them in the real world, but it is able to identify them across multiple games. So if it's a website where you don't have to make an account, the AI can still tag it and be like, okay, this is person A. And then when they see you pop up five games later, they're like, oh, this is still person A. The problem is this could be coupled with other digital data to de-anonymize players. And this is kind of one of those things where in and of itself, probably don't really care who's playing chess, but it's just a proof of concept of how this could be used in other realms to track people across the internet, even when they're trying to stay anonymous. All right, and now we're gonna migrate into the politics section. So we're gonna start with this headline, FCC has proposed stricter requirements for reporting data breaches. Essentially, this would require companies to notify customers of inadvertent breaches, which scraps the one-week waiting period and would require telecom carriers to alert the FCC, FBI, and Secret Service. Personally, I think this is really good. And even if it's not like a massive improvement, it's still a step in the right direction. I personally have no issue with this. Nathan also left a note here that the FCC is also considering require companies to create easier to read privacy policies and terms of service. It's not really privacy related, but it's still something cool that kind of fits into that story really nicely. Our next story comes from, all right, all the Americans are going to be so mad because I've noticed when I mispronounce a foreign name, the foreigners are like, ah, oh, you tried. It's cool. When I mispronounce an American name, you guys get really mad. So Edina, Edna, Edina whatever. Anyways, it's a suburb in Wisconsin, and they are the latest to roll out a homeowner surveillance camera program. Now, if you're like me, your brain probably went straight to, oh God, why? But check this out. This is another example of, I think, technology being reasonable. So the police are joining this program called SafeCam. Two other police departments in Wisconsin have already joined it or at least they joined last year. I'm not sure what the total is. From what I could tell reading the article, this actually seems like a fairly decent solution. The company claims that, first of all, I don't think it's locked into a specific camera vendor. I think it's just like a program that you opt into. They claim the data is kept in-house. They don't sell it to any third parties. They don't use it for advertising. It does require owner permission. So even when you opt in, it doesn't give the police just on-demand live stream access the way that Ring and Nest and all those other ones do, they still have to contact you and be like, hey, we're trying to get information about a crime that took place Tuesday between noon and 2 p.m. Can we pull your camera footage? And you have to consent to that. And additionally, you have to opt in as the camera owner. Again, unlike Ring and Nest, it's not like, well, you bought it, so you're opted in. No, you have to go sign up for this program and say, yeah, go ahead and contact me if you want this data. So personally, I think that's really cool. I think that's how it should be in the first place. But anyways, the police department admits that so far it hasn't really helped solve any crimes, but they're hopeful. And I think they just recently started using it. The article doesn't actually say when they started using it, but they made it sound like this is a recent development. So maybe that's why it hasn't done anything yet. Hopefully programs like that, that have more safeguards and checks and balances in place will catch on. We're gonna close out our politics story with another big story from Europe says Europol ordered to erase data on those not linked to crime. So for those who don't know, Europol is Europe's international police agency. From what I understand, they don't actually have any legal jurisdiction, but they are able to apply a lot of international pressure and get other countries who do have jurisdiction to comply. Not to get off topic, but they were involved in the whole ProtonMail IP logging thing that happened a few months ago. Because France didn't have any jurisdiction, they went to Europol. Europol put the pressure on Switzerland, who did have jurisdiction, and then Switzerland acted. But anyways. Proton owned by Europol? I actually have it in my notes here. Europol is only supposed to go after serious crimes, like international crimes, drug and human trafficking, and also apparently squatting climate change activists. 
But anyways, <laughs> um, getting back to the actual story, the European Data Protection Supervisor has ordered Europol that they have to delete all the data they have collected on any person who is not linked to a crime. So if they uh, interviewed somebody and it turns out like, oh, this is a dead end, it's not a lead, you have to delete that data. This includes ID numbers, location data, and quote, any online identifier associated with an individual's physical, physiological, genetic, mental, economic, cultural, or social identity, unquote. So that's pretty comprehensive. I do wonder what they mean by linked to a crime. Does, does it have to be like a, a witness? Does it have to be someone who gave a statement? I don't know, but still it's a step in the right direction. And additionally, Europol can only keep this data for six months. So again, if they interview somebody and then they say, well, we don't think this person is involved. They have six months before they have to get rid of that data. All right, and now we're gonna migrate to the FOSS, free and open source news category. And we're gonna start with Signal who put out a blog post titled New Year, New CEO. So Moxie was the previous CEO of Signal, pretty controversial figure, but he feels confident that Signal's self-sustainable now, and he will be stepping down to board member and has made an open call for anyone interested to apply, but also says he's already spoken to a few candidates. He says getting a new CEO is an important step for expanding on Signal's success. We will wait and cautiously see who is selected and what direction they take. We're kind of curious, like, more transparency, less transparency, more mobile coin. We don't know. Uh, Signal's been making a lot of interesting decisions the last six months to last year. So it's interesting to see where this is all headed. We just kind of put in some personal notes. So I feel like I don't really have many thoughts on this. This is just a change. We don't know what's gonna come out of it. Maybe Signal's gonna make a 180 in the right direction or everything could go to crap in the next six months. There's just nothing we can be able to tell. One thing I will address though, is there's a certain headline going around that's like, Signal has replaced their CEO with a WhatsApp founder. And that's a very, very misleading headline because first off, it's a temporary CEO. And also it's one of the co-founders of WhatsApp who's actually very anti-Facebook and hates what happened to WhatsApp, so. Didn't he co-found Signal too? I believe so. It's like very misleading headline. Definitely try to ignore that headline. This is like kind of what happened. I do wanna stress real quick. I've personally been seeing a lot of people asking, oh no, should we be worried? And the answer is we don't know yet. Like we don't have any information. We don't even know who the new CEO is gonna be. So it's really way too early. So anybody who says anything like, oh, we need to be worried, Signal's going down the drain now. That is pure unfounded speculation. Maybe they feel that way, but we don't know. It's way too early to tell. I really just wanna harp on that because I've been seeing that question a lot this past week. We're gonna talk about Linux Mint. First, the good news, Linux Mint 20.3 has been released and is promising security updates until 2025. That's fantastic. It also comes with an improved dark mode, a search function for sticky notes, some tweaks to the theme, better printer support, and more. Unfortunately, we have some bad news from Linux Mint. Linux Mint is reverting Firefox to the Mozilla config after a partnership signing. Linux Mint has allegedly taken an undisclosed sum of money in exchange for using the stock build of Firefox. In the past, they have done their own build where they made a few small changes, like they changed the start page, which is pretty common. I think Fedora does that too. They changed the default search engine from Google to DuckDuckGo. They disabled a lot of the telemetry, but now with this new deal, they are undoing all those changes and just reverting it back to stock Firefox. Like you would go to Mozilla's website and download straight from Mozilla. The goal here, according to the statement is that keep in mind, these aren't just specifically those changes. There's a lot of behind the scenes programming changes too. And due to those changes and the way that it's integrated in Mint, Firefox will be able to update 
independently of the package manager. So it'll be more like Windows or Mac, where it just kind of auto updates by itself and you don't have to run the updates from the package manager. But for obvious reasons, some people are not real happy about that. It's worth noting this does not affect existing users. So if you're a Linux Mint user and you've already like downloaded in major changes, you'll be fine. But if you're using any default settings, those may change. So for example, if you downloaded Min and you were like, oh, DuckDuckGo is great, I don't mind that, you might wake up one day and find out your default's been changed to Google. So do keep an eye on that. But any changes you've already made, according to them, should be safe. I don't know, I'm more curious behind the deal. Why is Firefox interested? That's just a weird move by Firefox. And also I feel like with Windows, Mac OS, it makes sense to combine software updates with the operating system updates to some extent. But on Linux, you have a package manager. You just type in a single command and it updates everything in one fellow swoop. I don't see the gain here for the users. Well, and even with Mint, it's even easier because they have the, the GUI. You know, you open the actual software store and you click a button. It's just like the, the Apple Mac store. It's super easy. And then we have a quick story from Pine64, the maker of the PinePhone. They recently announced the PinePhone Pro and they are accepting pre-orders for the next edition, January 11th. So those are already open and hopefully are not sold out yet. So yeah, if you are interested in getting a PinePhone Pro, the Explorer edition is now available for pre-order and you can go ahead and grab that from their website. And now I'm gonna quickly cover just some very quick updates. We're gonna go through this as quick as possible. Firefox Focus and Firefox have moved to version 96. Firefox Focus now includes total cookie protection and smart block to avoid website breakage, and Firefox 96 for desktop includes improvements to audio handling for video conferences, including, quote, reduced main thread load, as well as a new cookie policy enforcement to protect against cross-site request forgeries and a few bug fixes. Calyx OS is now on Android 12 and available for Pixel 6. This is in testing slash beta at the moment, but it should be out of there within the next week if everything goes smoothly, which is very exciting and it's really encouraging me to maybe hop on the Pixel 6, but it probably won't. And KeyPass 2.5 has been released, mainly featuring user interface and integration enhancements, as well as various other minor new features and improvements. That is the KeyPass client that comes from the actual KeyPass devs. I don't believe this impacts anything else if you're using a third-party client for KeyPass. And also Cryptomator 2.0.4 for iOS has been released, which is exciting. All right, and that brings us into our Misfits section. We're gonna start off with a real quick one. If you are an American, Tax season is coming up. I know, we're all so excited. We just can't wait to give Uncle Sam part of our hard-earned money. But anyways, there is something called an identity protection pin or an IP pin. This is something that is issued by the IRS. I believe you have to get a new one every single year, unless you've got proof you were a victim of identity theft, something like that. Anyways, it's basically like two-factor authentication for your tax returns. It prevents criminals from being able to file taxes on your behalf and get your return, which I know here in America, a lot of people really like their tax returns because it's a big sum of money that you can use for all kinds of cool things. So if you are an American, please go ahead and sign up for a identity protection pin. There will be a link in the description. It will be slightly painful. I'm not gonna lie to you because it's the IRS, but it will prevent somebody from stealing money that is owed to you. Up next, there are some fake QR codes on parking meters. So police in Austin, Texas are reporting that someone is putting fake QR code stickers on parking meters so that people are being taken to a fake parking payment site and being fished. So don't trust QR codes in public, restaurants and whatnot. If you can go to a physical URL, try doing that. And if you do have to use a QR code, always check the URL and make sure that you're not on some malicious phishing site. 
So I decided to throw this in last minute. A hotel chain has switched to Chrome OS to recover from a ransomware attack. As it sounds, a hotel chain was hit by ransomware last month, and they took a very interesting approach to migrate their entire infrastructure to Chromebooks within a 24-hour period to prevent this from happening again. I threw this in because I think it's a good reminder that almost all devices out there have valid use cases for different threat models. I have said in the past that Chrome OS is a phenomenally secure operating system with little privacy from Google, which is totally okay if your threat model calls for a high security machine and privacy is a lower concern. Personally, I think the move from the hotel is a very effective one, especially for a business like theirs. And I think a good takeaway, if you're a student who is part of your school's schooling ecosystem and you have a Google account through your school, I don't think it's an issue to use a Chromebook for something like your studies, as long as that fits your threat model. And also if you're a business, uh, there are valid use cases for pretty much every operating system out there. Our final story this week, this is another one of those just funny little stories to end you guys with. There is a hacking group from India called Patchwork. They have several names actually, uh, including Hangover Group, Dropping Elephant, Chinistrats, and Monsoon. They have been active since at least 2015 and primarily use phishing to deploy remote access Trojans for the purpose of data theft and quote, other malicious activities. The fun story here is they appear to have accidentally infected one of their own virtual machines, leaking interesting data like the weather and the fact that they have not updated Java yet. I wonder if they're vulnerable to log for shell And more importantly, something of actual interest to researchers, they are using VPN secure and CyberGhost VPN. They're probably leaking some other stuff. This does appear to be one of those, oops, this might actually cause some problems for them. Because I know we've covered stories similar to this in the past, where it was like, eh, it's not really a big deal. But this might actually expose them a little more than they meant to. I guess if I had to pick a moral for this one, it would be never overestimate yourself. Because, I mean, these guys are professional attackers, and they still screwed up. Hope that gives you guys something to smile at and starts your week off to a good start. And that was all of our news for this report. We're going to keep you updated on the FCC's data breach proposal, the new Signal CEO, and pretty much every other story that we hear news about as we learn more. So be sure to stay subscribed and tune in next week for our next surveillance report. Again, this report was brought to you, well, it's our own self-promo for Simple Login, which is again an open source email aliasing solution that we just can't recommend more. It's gonna really help protect your email, especially in those data breaches. It lets you compartmentalize things accordingly. It helps you prevent spam. It's just a fantastic tool. Really can't recommend it enough. Super easy to switch to. You don't have to open a new email. You can use your current email and you can start generating aliases even with their free plan. It's fantastic. We wanna thank you for listening to the surveillance support and we're happy to know you're trying to stay safe out there. And the final thing we wanna ask of you is to share the podcast around, make sure you're subscribed, and give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. Spotify is one of those platforms now. Just wanted to throw that out there. I discovered that yesterday. Oh, yeah. We've been there since like the very beginning. No, no, no. But I mean, uh, they allow for ratings now. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. They never used to do that, but I guess they're slowly rolling it out to people. We've already got like a 4.8 or 4.9. So thank you guys. Keep them coming. There you go. And and Apple Music. And it, you know what? You can also just use AntennaPod and just, just virtually rate us in your head. Fantastic, we love that. Share around with people that you know as well because we're trying to spread these messages to people around you. Data breaches affect everyone, so really help people out. And thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.